0: If you uh, have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them to John chapter 4. There is a Bible app event for this sermon. In case you're joining us, uh, haven't been here in a while, we're in the fifth message in a series on lies that even seasoned Christians believe. The first lie we talked about is a lie that says, you are alone, you're alone, you know, that uh, idea. Um, The second one was, you're unusable. The third one was, your life is your own. And the fourth one is, you can't change or people don't change. All of those are lies that um, many people believe, even some Christians believe them, even seasoned Christians can find themselves believing those lies. Today's lie goes kind of like this, it is uh, people aren't really interested in what I found in Jesus. You could phrase that a number of different ways. People don't want to know about Jesus, people want you to shut up about Jesus, people don't, don't keep your faith to yourself, your faith's a personal thing, don't share it. And it, that is a lie, really, that even seasoned Christians can find themselves uh, at least acting as though they believe it. I wanna tell you a story uh, about Dave and Darlene from my high school. Um, Those are not their real names, uh, but I'm gonna use those names for them today. Um, Dave was a guy in my high school and he always had a crush on Darlene and uh, he always wanted to go out with her. He would talk about Darlene, he would view her from afar, he would imagine her, because she was kind of pretty. She was popular, she had blonde hair and that was important to Dave. She dressed well, and uh, like Dave, uh, she came from a Christian home. And so in Dave's eyes, uh, Darlene was exactly what he'd like. But also in Dave's eyes, Darlene was untouchable. Because while Dave saw Darlene as being extraordinary, he looked at himself as being pretty ordinary. He wasn't popular. And he didn't have blonde hair, he had bad hair. You know those guys that have bad hair, right? And uh, he dressed... Well, let's say that he and Darlene, they shopped not at different stores, but maybe on different continents, you know. It just, it just wasn't lining up at all. Years later, Dave was talking to a friend about Darlene, and the friend mentioned that Darlene had gotten married, and then the friend added this. You know, Dave, she and I were pretty close. She always wanted to go out with you. Ha! You know how Dave felt, right? He just felt crushed, like, you've got to be kidding. Because he never knew that she was really interested in what he had to offer. Now, because Dave was a man of integrity, who respected the sacredness of marriage, he never acted on that newfound information. Dave was married, Darlene was married. Dave never pursued her after that. But always in the back of his mind, he regretted that he'd never approached her, that he had believed a lie, that what he had was something Darlene would never be interested in. In many regards, Dave is a little bit like a lot of Christians. Not that we're looking to go out with Darlene. (laughs) But rather, we have something to offer. The story of what Jesus has done in our life. But we find it hard to always imagine that others would like to hear that. That others want to know that. And that's a lie. It's one that even seasoned Christians believe. What I want to do is I want to read to you from John chapter 4. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus and a woman at the well. We're going to read about that. Then we're going to talk about why is it that we believe these lies. And then we're going to look at a couple of things Jesus did to, to show us that he didn't believe that lie. And how was it exactly that Jesus did share what he had to offer with a woman who was thirsting for it. So John chapter 4 is where we are. We're going to start to read at verse 4 and read through verse 15. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sikar, near ground of Jacob, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink for Jews? Do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, and did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not get thirsty and not have to come keeping, keep coming here to draw water. Now, before we talk about this text, before we look into it, I just want to cover some bases. I want to talk about why do we believe this lie This lie that says people aren't interested in what we have found in Jesus. And and one of the reasons is, and it's an ongoing reason, the problem of familiarity. This has come up several times in the past several weeks as we've been talking together. This idea that familiarity breeds contempt. That's an aphorism. It's a saying that people say frequently. And what that means is when you have extensive knowledge of something, when you become very well acquainted with it and you're around it a long time with a close association, after a while... You begin to lose respect for that something or that someone. And I feel like that happens in Christian faith. I feel like it happens in Christian faith a lot. And that's odd that we would feel that way because some of the greatest minds in the world became intensely familiar with Christian faith and stuck with it. They didn't look at it like, oh, yeah, that's from Clearfield County. Those Clearfield County people believe anything. But great minds said, you know what? This makes sense. Pascal, for example, and Robert Jastrow of NASA, Institute of State-Based Studies. The list could go on and on. But if you grew up with people who worship Jesus, and you were very familiar with going to church Sunday after Sunday, and other times as well, then when you, when, and when you become an adult, or when you pass through different seasons of life, you may begin to devalue your Christian heritage, your Christian faith, just because of your familiarity with it. This often happens when kids graduate from high school and go off to a college. It's not that irreligious professors lay out persuasive arguments against Christian faith. Honestly, the professors, most of them, when I was in school, didn't care. They didn't care. They they were not overtly anti-Christian, but they tended to be very cynical about people. And that made them cynical about Christian students and Christian thinking about what they were familiar with, the United States and Western society. And so as young minds enter into that environment, sometimes we can begin to interpret that as saying, yeah, well, Jesus might be okay for you, but Jesus isn't what the world really needs or wants for that matter. It's a lie that even seasoned Christians can believe. Let me give you another reason that we come upon this lie that people aren't interested in what we have found in Jesus, and that's the problem of comparison. You can see this phenomenon happening throughout history. How many of you are old enough to remember the 60s? Let me see. Yeah, I remember them. I was very young, but I remember the 60s, right? In the 60s, there was a phenomenon that it was kind of new at the time. Christian kids would grow up, and they would leave home, and they'd go maybe to college. And at college, they would encounter some people who had a deep commitment to something or to someone. And because back home, their family had a commitment to Jesus that was kind of lukewarm, that was kind of mild, that student was like, these people really believe in this and then those students would end up following a cult. It was a phenomenon in the 60s and 70s. There were documentaries, there were TV specials about it. Sunday night mystery movie would be about kids getting caught in a cult. Mannix, all those stuff. Their parents' small commitment in the minds of that student didn't compare to the commitment the people in the cult had. And because of the great influence parents tend to have in a child's life, they just thought, well, man, you know what? If that's all the more Christian faith means to them, then it can't be that hot. And they took their, their parents' lukewarm faith as kind of a standard for what Christianity was supposed to look like. It wasn't. The parents were wrong. But the students bought the lie. It didn't just happen in the 60s. <laughs> more recently, kids from good homes where the commitment to God is small, they encounter this problem of comparison. And then they get online and they watch videos and they read things about people fighting for something in the Middle East. And what's the word we use? We say they became radicalized because they compare their American faith or the faith of Americans that they knew with what they're observing in terms of fanaticism and extremism online. And they conclude that Christianity must not be very important because nobody really gives anything for Jesus, but these radical extremists here, they would give their lives for what they believe in. These Americans over here, by comparison, they seem kind of the, they seem kind of hypocritical, but these people over here, really, they're really committed. The problem of comparison is they're comparing the wrong things. The, the The Christian who has a lukewarm attitude toward god, that Christian is not the standard he 's the anomaly that is an abnormal Christian in god 's eyes, but they 're comparing that kind of thing, and they 're believing the lie but the hypocrisy of the American Christian in my scenario isn't limited to American Christians. You have to understand this and help you get rid of the comparison thing that hypocrisy is something that is everywhere. Everywhere. From the vegan who has a stash of beef jerky at work, you know, to to the the guy who's really concerned about global warming, but he, has, he drives a Tahoe, you know, to the people that I saw in the Middle East, you know. When we visited in the Middle East, man, that call to prayer, that is just dogmatically adhered to wherever those people are they head to the mosque and if they can't get to the mosque they take out the carpet that they carry with them at all times they lay it down and they immediately get face down before Allah and do their prayer thing everything stops my son-in-law said it's the most frustrating thing about being in this country. I have an app on my phone because the call to prayer changes. It's not the same time every day. So you can't say, oh, yeah, the store's closed at 5. It was closed at 5 yesterday, but it's going to be closed at 5.04 today. You know why? Because it has to do with the sunset, sunrise and sunset. And so he has an app on his phone that always shows him the dynamic of that so he knows how to schedule his day. They adhere to it religiously. And they have a deep commitment to it. And they have a deep commitment to living the right way. Adultery. You could be stoned or punished by death for adultery. It's against the law to smoke pot there. And a penalty, you know what it is? Guess what it is? Death. That's what it is. Right? And, and it's against the law to, to even have alcohol there. To have it. It's against the law. But you know what? The hypocrisy runs deep. Because they all know the places to get the alcohol. And they all have this country that's just right there among all the other countries. And that's the place to go if things aren't working out with your wife. Because there's a lot of girls there. And my daughter said to me, I was uh, going shopping to the market this morning, and I smelled someone smoking pot. (laughs) She's walking by an apartment complex, the guard probably. In a place where it's punishable by death. But here's what I want you to understand. This problem of comparison, I just want to say, if you do a casual comparison, you may fall for this lie. Because because you don't see that thing. You just see the call to prayer and you think, those guys are serious about their faith. Man, we can't even get 100 people out for an 8 o'clock service once a week. Don't fall for that lie. Don't fall for that lie. Here's another reason that people fall for the lie, that people aren't interested in what they have to say about Jesus, it's a problem of the vocal minority. I'm not sure if it's really a minority or not. That's what I'm calling it. I'm I'm saying this, that people who are anti-Jesus, they tend to be quite vocal about being anti-Jesus. And you see this in the media. Many people in the media are anti-Jesus in news and entertainment. And by the way, there's not a difference anymore, right? Okay? And and they they will tell you that people are disinterested The news and the media, this vocal minority of human beings, will tell you that people are not interested in religious issues. Nothing could be further from the truth. People are very interested in it. But when you hear them say that over and over again, you begin to believe, yeah, maybe I I should keep my faith to myself and I should just be be quiet about it. I want you to think about two things in reference to this. First off, the media has been doing that for generations. Since your grandchild or grandfather rather turned on a radio, he was listening to the media do that, and uh, and Jesus is still pretty popular. And the second thing I want you to think about here is the very fact that people who don't like Jesus want you to be quiet about Jesus tells you how powerful they believe it is when you talk about Jesus. You understand that? Still, Christians believe this lie. People don't want to hear; they're not interested. And what I found in Jesus. And I want to say to you, that is a very dangerous lie to believe. And there are many, many reasons it's dangerous. But the first one is that without Jesus, people are destined for hell. That is what the Bible says. You, I could read several passages. I thought about doing that. I assimilated or com- put together a, a whole list of them. And then I thought, man, I think one will do. How many times does God have to say something before we'll believe it, right? So so here's one from the book of Revelation where it says anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There it is. Jesus speaks about hell. The Bible speaks of it many, many times. A number of years ago, there was an influential pastor whose name was Rob. He pastored a church of over 10,000 people. He'd written a number of books and he did really, really good curriculum for young adults, for teens. His curriculum that he worked out was fantastic. then he wrote a book where he questioned the reality of hell the existence of hell the idea of torment that whole concept he did more than question he pretty much poo-pooed it and said ah a loving god will never do that love always wins and hell is not love so nope doesn't happen and i gotta tell you that is an appealing thought to a generation who hates the idea of judgment unless we're doing it right that idea that yeah there is no hell that feels kind of good because we hate judgment so much the book caused a major stir in Christianity and the Christian community. Rob actually lost his church uh, over that. He's no longer pastoring. Not sure what he's doing now. In response to that book, uh, a very well loved and well respected church leader named uh, Francis Chan co wrote with Preston Sprinkle a, a book that the, uh, another book uh, called Erasing Hell. Erasing Hell. He's not saying we should erase hell, he's saying it's a mistake to erase the idea of, of hell. And in that book, Chan Demonstrates biblically that there is such a thing as hell and i 've watched him talk about that on videos. I have the book and and, and he says this over and over again. Chance says this, this is not an argument I enjoy winning <laughs> but it 's not hard to win because if you believe the Bible to be the Word of God, if you believe it has authority, then you have to understand yeah hell 's a real place. So you have this lie that says people aren't interested in what you have to say about Jesus and you have this reality that Jesus is the means whereby we can escape hell and then you have this reality of hell. Do you see how dangerous this lie is? It's a very dangerous lie. It's dangerous as well simply because God commands his followers to share what they've been given. Just before Jesus is taken into heaven, he gives something called the Great Commission. If I happen to have a product and I'd like you to sell it, I might commission you to sell it. I would say, I'm selling widgets. By the way, today's generation doesn't know that widgets are real things. They think they're just things on a computer screen. Isn't that funny? I'm selling widgets, and I'd like you to help me, Mark. I'm commissioning you to take these out and sell them. If you could sell a 100 a day, you and I could retire early, right? Jesus gives a commission. He's not selling anything. He's giving away eternal life as people turn to him, trust in him, and follow him. And he says to his disciples, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus commands his followers to tell people what he has done for them. But the lie says people don't want to know what Jesus has done for you. You see how a problem that is, what a problem that is. This lie that people don't want to hear when you talk about Jesus, it's a very dangerous lie. And I have found that people love to hear when you talk about Jesus, depending upon how you talk about Jesus. If you're going to be obnoxious in your presentation of Jesus, nobody wants to hear you talk about Jesus. If you're obnoxious in your presentation of Hershey's chocolate, nobody's going to want to hear you talk about Hershey's chocolate. It's not the chocolate they don't like, it's your obnoxious personality that's getting in the way. And that's the way it is with Jesus. And Jesus didn't have an obnoxious personality. So he really shows us how to overcome this lie. And you can see him doing it right in this text. In this passage, you see Jesus, you can draw some ideas for Jesus' means and method of interaction with a person who wants the truth, a person who is thirsty. And the first thing you see is Jesus going to where she is. Verse 4 says, now he had to go through Samaria. The King James used to say, it still does, by the way, (laughs) the King James says, I must needs go through Samaria. And it puts the the onus for why am I doing this on Jesus' back. It was his idea to go through Samaria. The only way you ever had to go through Samaria is if you were short on time because any good holy Jew would not contaminate themselves by going through that part of the country. They would actually draw a perimeter around it and that was a highly traveled road around Samaria, never through. He chose to go through there. People like Jesus never, um, yeah, people like Jesus never went through Samaria. They hated the Samaritans. Samaritans had compromised. They were half-breeds. They were awful. It was racial. It was religious. They hated them, but Jesus intentionally went into that area. Why? Because he had something people of that area needed. If you're going to overcome this lie that people don't want to hear about Jesus, you're probably going to have to go where there are people who need Jesus. And I'm not talking about going to the Middle East. I'm talking about going to family reunions i just talking about what Jesus means to you. I'm talking about at work. I'm talking about what Jesus means to you. A, a guy in a small group recently said, it was on Wednesday night, he said, I cannot believe the questions people have been asking me about God lately. He said, it's amazing. They're so hungry. He happens to be in a work environment where people want to know about Jesus. You'll find him at club meetings. You'll find him at work. You'll find him at school. You'll find him at home. You'll find him places you go for fun. You'll find them. You have to go and find them. You are not going to win one convert over Facebook, I guarantee. If you do, I will buy you dinner, right? It doesn't happen. It happens when you do a face-to-face, and that's what Jesus did. And if you go to find them, two things will become possible. First, you will discover the lie is not true. People are hungry to know about Jesus, and you'll just begin to learn, um, they will begin to learn rather, that Jesus is the one they need because when they see how Christ influences you and affects you, that will be attractive. And by the way, if your relationship with Christ is not changing you in a way that is attractive to other people, then you need to talk to him about him doing a better job (laughs) or you being more responsive, right? If you're going to let go of the lie that people don't want to hear about Jesus and who he is to you, you're going to have to interact with people who need Jesus. Number two, you're going to have to treat people with respect. That's a sad thing to have to say, isn't it? But I believe the most missing ingredient in our society today is respect. We try to teach our children, children of this generation, tolerance. Remember, that was the word. Tolerance, 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 tolerance. And it isn't working. It really isn't. What we failed to teach them is what previous generations, generation after generation after generation, taught this value. It wasn't tolerance, it was respect. When I think about it, tolerance has to do with viewpoints, and there are just some viewpoints that are intolerable. However... Respect has to do with persons, and every person being made in the image of God is worthy of some measure of respect. Jesus knew this. To see Jesus' pattern of respect, you have to understand a little bit about the first century culture. In Jesus' day, a man in public at a well, alone with a woman, would never even speak to her. It just would not happen. Not because, not just because, probably a little bit of this, they looked down on women, but there was an impropriety there that you wouldn't do that, what would people say? On top of that, because of a measure of racism, a Jewish man would never ask a Samaritan of any ilk for anything, particularly not a Samaritan woman. But Jesus had what she needed. She didn't know that, but he knew that. And so Jesus treated her with respect. You see it in verse 7. Look again at verse 7, if your Bible's still open. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And you might not think that's a big deal, but skip down to verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritan. Asking for a drink, Jesus surprised her with a huge measure of respect. If you're going to let go of the lie that people don't want to hear about who Jesus is to you, you're going to have to interact with people with a measure of respect. And Jesus did that over and over and over again. There were times that it seems that Jesus did not act with respect. There were times, you know, John the Baptist says, you brood of vipers. And when Jesus says, woe to you Pharisees, and he nails them with seven things, that that may not seem respectful to you and me. But Jesus always respected the person, not necessarily their beliefs or their teaching. And we need to do the same if we're going to overcome this lie. Third, and this is probably the most important thing, You're going to have to tell them what Jesus means to you and what he has done for you and how your life has changed because of it. Do you understand that? I could sit down with people and argue all day long whether evolution is true. I could probably offer arguments for either side on that. (laughs) Was it seven days or not? I could sit down all day long and argue the question of the existence of God and I could probably argue either side of that. But here's something you find it very hard to argue with. When someone comes up to you and says, you know what, I wasn't even sure there was a God, but my life was transformed because I was that kid that the guidance officer figured I'd be in jail, and when he found out I was a preacher, he was stunned. And the only explanation for that is Jesus changed my life. Go ahead and argue with that, right? And you could argue with that, but you wouldn't be respectful if you did. It's hard to argue with what Jesus has done in a person's life listen to verses 10 through 14 and in that notice that what Jesus is saying in those five verses he's saying one sentence again and again I have what you're thirsty for listen in verse 10 if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water there it is Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw. The water is deep. How can you get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus knows this woman is thirsty. He, He knows her past. She has a past of rejection and shame. Some theorize that's why she's there at midday. You don't want to go out at midday in the the Middle East because it's too stinking hot. The only reason you go to the water there is if you slept in and forgot to come in the morning or if because you don't want to be around the other people who are there. So probably she knows her past and he knows her past, a past of rejection and shame. He knows her present, a present of hiding. He knows her future, a future of heartache and regret. And he knows that he alone can eliminate all that. He knows that he can offer her acceptance just as she is, and honor, respect, and dignity as a human being, and belonging, the ability to feel good about herself, even in his presence, And, and healing, a release from the misery of remembering her past sin, and hope, a turn of her head from regret of the past toward a future of meaning. Jesus has so much for her, And he's offering her the abundant, eternal life that comes by trusting him, by following him. If you're going to let go of the lie that people don't want to hear who Jesus is to you, you're going to have to tell them, you're going to have to tell them, invite them to follow Jesus. You're going to have to take the step. It's probably the most crucial part. And if you don't take the step, then they lose and you do too. But when you do, (laughs) that's a great thing. See, remember Dave and Darlene, right? Right? Dave always wanted to go out with Darlene, never called her. In short, Dave believed a different kind of lie. He believed that Darlene would never be interested in him and what he had. And when it was too late, he discovered that she was interested. Kind of sad, you know, they never got together. But it's all right. I'm sure they're both leading long, full lives now. They'll both be fine. It's just sad. But if you and I believe a lie that people are not interested in what we have, Jesus, that's not just kind of sad. That's pure tragedy don't believe that lie. Believe this truth that people are thirsting for living water and you have it through Jesus Christ. You can go to them, you can treat them with respect, you can talk to them about what Jesus means and God will use that greatly.